It's draft day in the NHL. That's when I'm recording the second to last Central Division Hockey, the podcast edition of the 2020 Draft Free Agency Team Editions. Feels like there's 10 minutes left in a tie game in the third period. You're still playing your team game. Try not to make that mistake and pick up the much needed two points by netting the winner. It's October 6th, NHL Draft Day 2020. Let's pose a question. Is Colton Perenko now the Blues' cornerstone defenseman? Has his time arrived? Has everyone figured out? Like, I think it was two years ago when he was 25, and I realized just how good he was. And I don't think everyone in the league was fully aware of that. But after last year's cup run, he pops up in those really bad now, who says no, clickbait trade tweets. So I think some people clued in that he's one of the league's most underrated defensemen and how good he is. And I bet you all thought I was going to start this off by talking about Alex Petriangelo. Welcome to Central Division Hockey, the podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bigelow. As part of our coverage of the Central Division, I put together team-focused 2020 NHL Draft and Free Agency podcast for all the teams, as well as included the Arizona Coyotes, as they will join the Central Division when the Seattle Kraken expansion team begins play in the NHL, just a season removed from the upcoming one. This podcast is dedicated to the St. Louis Blues. How I decided to select the podcast order was go from the team with the highest pick in this year's draft among the Central Division teams to the lowest. It seemed pretty straightforward. That's why St. Louis, with the 26th pick in this year's draft, follow Colorado, who draft directly in front of them with the 25th selection. This podcast doubles as both a look at the 2020 draft, but also a team's free agents and positionally where they might want to strengthen. Within days of the draft, the first round, of course, is tonight, October 6th. Free agency will open at noon Eastern Standard Time on the 9th. Teams, once they were already eliminated from the playoffs, were allowed to make trades, and the St. Louis Blues have made one. Gone is Jake Allen to Montreal. Gone, assistant GM Bill Armstrong. Not a trade, but he did leave the organization to become the new general manager of the Arizona Coyotes. Gone, Alex. No, wait. There's still time left in the third period before the October 9th free agency frenzy to resign Alex Petriangelo. We will talk about the team captain in the podcast. I'll also keep checking the Twitter feed and the sports updates, even while recording for any late-breaking news right up until this podcast is posted up. At that point, then it's up. We have to talk about the first round of the draft, that is later tonight, and make a pick selection for the 26th pick in the first round. Kind of also include a backup pick as well. Two guesses, if you will, for each of the team's picks. Those have a total of seven picks in this year's draft. They do not pick in the second or sixth rounds. However, they have two selections in round three, their own and one via Washington. And they have two fifth round selections, one of which came from Carolina. They have their own fourth pick and a seventh rounder that is from Chicago. Traditionally, you have seven picks. Just where they select this year is a little more complex. They only currently have four in 2021. That's in rounds one, three, five, and six. And they have six in 2022. That's the least complex 
of the drafts as far as it goes for the St. Louis Blues because they have picks in rounds one through six and just missing their seventh round pick. The Blues are now a year removed from their Stanley Cup championship in 2019 after falling in round one of the 2020 playoffs at the hands of the Vancouver Canucks. They had pretty much avoided the dreaded Stanley Cup hangover and were atop the Western Conference standings in March when the pandemic forced a pause. A unique expanded playoffs in a return to play meant the top four teams played a round robin for reseeding while the other eight Western Conference teams played a play-in series. St. Louis would end up dropping all of its round robin games and being seeded fourth through most of the 2020 playoffs. Watching the St. Louis Blues, you just expect the team would find its groove and start winning and the desired and the complete team effort just couldn't be found. The veteran team at a loss for not raising their play to the level needed to win in the competitive NHL. Even so, it looked to be a rather pedestrian off-season for the St. Louis Blues. There's a little cap room in a now flat cap NHL reality, but it was just expected the team needed to find a few big contracts to offload to have the cap space to re-sign their captain and cornerstone right-handed defenseman Alex Petriangelo 30 before the free agency frenzy began October 9th. And as well, notably, restricted free agent left-handed defenseman Vince on 23. However, somewhere after the Blues were eliminated, the headlines on the contract negotiations between Petriangelo and the team were reported as being not close, not on salary nor term, that the team didn't want to do bonuses and the player wants to. Meanwhile, every team in the league was salivating at the thought of Petriangelo, far and away the top right-handed defenseman or D-man potentially available, might test the market on October 9th. That didn't seem real. Of course, ask yourself what foundation we have for what's real in 2020. I'm sure most of you are as up-to-date as I could possibly share with you on the on-and-off-again negotiations. Petriangelo wants to stay in St. Louis as his first choice. The offer the team presented wasn't nearly what he feels his value is at. He'll probably try again before October 9th. You know, we started the podcast with many. They are potentially moving right-handed defenseman Matt Dumba hopefully for a top-line or second-line center, and then they could use another top-four right-end defense. But I think it's not a realistic option for the Wild to get Petriangelo. The Jets could use him now that Dustin Bufflin and Winnipeg terminated their cornerstone right-handed D contract. But does Petriangelo want to play in Winnipeg? Nashville doesn't have the cap space. They really need offense, and they do have the current Norris Trophy winner on their left-hand Chicago primarily needs a goalie before making any other decisions and is overspent on their defense as it is now. Arizona, who technically isn't in the Central Division yet, but a year away, is trying to take Oliver ekman Larson's $8.25 million off their team payroll. Don't think they want to add with a free agent signing as soon as they do that. But what a coup for new GM and former assistant Blues GM Bill Armstrong if he was doing that, and that's why he was moving OEL, was to get Petriangelo in free agency. That would be the big surprise. That's not a prediction. Just very entertaining. Colorado has a cap space. And they also have Rookie of the Year winner, Kale McCarr and Eric Johnson on their right-hand D. But they do have the cap space. Vegas played the whole playoffs with one natural right-hand defenseman. And if they can, or it is, according to the most recent 31 Thoughts podcast with Elliot Friedman, they are interested. 
Aren't they in play interested in everyone good, though? Like, there was another report that they were interested in left-handed D, Tory Krug from Boston, and that they were one of the teams that that team was going to potentially, for a pick, trade the rights to before October 9th. And, of course, I never heard anything else about that after. But they but they were in play. They do really need a top four right-hand defenseman, though. Zach Whitecloud is the only guy that was playing or natural right-handed D on that uh, Vegas team through the playoffs. That leaves us to Dallas. And as far as the Central Division teams go, they have a very solid D group. Free agents needing to be re-signed. Toronto, when we look at some teams in the Eastern Conference, doesn't have the cast base. But they, well, I was thinking, when did they last have what qualified as a cornerstone defenseman? So now I'm just kind of wishing this contract extension could have been completed because it really got the hopes of a lot of other teams up. And I mean, it doesn't make any sense for him not to just re-sign with St. Louis. Like, that makes the most sense. Just really trying to understand how they could be so far apart with this contract. He finished fourth in the North's trophy voting. And mostly just because they vote for offensive first defensemen all the time now. But Petriangelo as well, as GM of the Winnipeg Jets' Kevin Sheveldayoff described Bufflin as trying to replace the irreplaceable. But what if the organization really felt Colton Pareko could be that cornerstone guy? You know, I want to share a tweet that came across my timeline on Twitter to explain the reality of hometown blinders on making sound assessment of your favorite hockey team and the players on your favorite hockey team. It amounts to clickbait, but it was a suggested trade between Toronto and St. Louis, aka who says no. St. Louis gets Kasperi Kapanen, Andreas Johnson, Travis Dermott. If you're a St. Louis fan, like, I mean, you'd have to look these guys up, probably. And Toronto would get Colton Pareko and Alex Steen. By the way, uh, here's the at, the at, at Jordan underscore Marsky. So, Jordan, M-A-R-E, Sky. Let's just pull up the stats for the season on the players involved. Kapanen, he's a right winger. 24, because St. Louis needs another right winger who's 24. He had 13 goals, 69 games played, 23 assists, 36 points. Primarily, I believe, play was playing third line. 15 minutes, 47 minutes ice time. There you go. Sounds like a third liner to me. Not over the 20 mark. Johnson, 25, is also, or he's a left winger. He had eight goals in 43 games, 15-45, and ice time, 21 points. Dermot, 23-year-old left defenseman. So, 56 games, 11 points, 17-18 of ice time, which is a really good bottom pairing defenseman. Perenko, of course, for you St. Louis fans, is a right-handed defenseman. 64 games played, 10 goals, 18 assists, 28 points. Averages 23 minutes a game in ice time. And that's playing behind Alex Petriangelo. And Steen, left winger, 36 years old, 55 games played, 17 points, 14.02 in ice time. Of course, Steen in his prime was a top six player. But he's older now. He's 36 years old. If you're not a fan of the Maple Leafs, this will make sense. But if you are a fan, then you're going to have blinders on because it still involves your favorite hockey team. You think a stupid trade like this is possible. So if you're a Leafs fan, just, you know, skip ahead in the time. Because I can't help you. You think that garbage trade would be a realistic one, and it isn't. That deal is a Leafs fan trying to part with two underachieving third-line forwards and a part-time bottom-pair defenseman for an in-his-prime top-four stud that will replace Alex Petriangelo one day 
as the top D guy and cornerstone of the St. Louis defenseman. And it only hasn't happened already because St. Louis has Petriangelo and he still is at the top of his game. Dermott isn't a regular D-man on the bottom pair on a team that has no defense. That's why the fan wants Pareko. He would instantly be the Leafs' best defenseman, and he is 27. What that same fan won't do is trade their only defenseman of value, Morgan Riley, for Pareko, and that's borderline logical as a deal. And for some reason, he really wants the veteran Steen for the nostalgia of the Leafs drafting him. And yes, Johnson, a third liner, given that Steen's 36 now, is almost on a one-for-one deal for those two possible. Steen plays bottom six now. He was, as I said earlier, a top six player in his prime. And Johnson will always be a bottom six guy. And he is in his prime now. So Riley and Johnson for Pareko and Steen, and maybe you have a deal? No, you don't have a deal. To be honest, maybe Zach Hyman instead of Johnson make that deal. And you keep every guy you offered because I still want to be switching this deal. Riley, Zach Hyman, a lot of sweeteners. And I still think. I'd rather keep Pareko, especially because he is a right-handed defenseman. Morgan Riley is a left-handed defenseman, 26, 27 points, only three of those goals in 47 games. And Johnson for Pareko and Steen. The point is you see a player from another team you like, but you don't fully appreciate the value it would take to have him traded to your favorite team. And at the same time, you overvalue players on the teams you like. So, even taking on Paul Statsing's contract from Vegas, two of the younger players on the Jets with upside, Miku and Rosovic, are the kind of guys to go the other way if it's really going to happen because they aren't going to be high salary, but they can play in the NHL every game. No GM is giving up a top six player or a top four minute defenseman for eight third liners. Never mind three. Honestly, and I brought up the Jets for a reason. When they were wanting to move Jacob Truba, I thought the Jets could do a trade for Colton Pareko with St. Louis. And that turned out to be a first-rounder in Neil Pionk. For Pareko, the Jets probably would have had to trade Truba and give the Blues a first-rounder and or Sammy Niku, or a legitimate prospect. Before I end this rant, maybe Toronto should draft some top-tier defensemen every chance they get, because that's why Pareko is in St. Louis right now, and Truba was playing in Winnipeg at the start of his career. And you wouldn't have traded Riley for Truba, and that's where that conversation between Dubas and Chevel Dayoff ended. Also, Riley, again, is a left-handed defenseman. It shouldn't even have been a conversation in the first place. Pareko for Truba made more sense than the clip-bait garbage Toronto fans actually post as if it was deserving of legitimate consideration. Would you trade Hall of Famer Scott Niedermeyer for three third-liners? Not if you wanted to be an NHL GM ever. Where is Brian Burke when you need him? And legitimate news media in Toronto fuels this. I mean, headline, top five destinations for Petriangelo on the score.ca out of Toronto. First team listed in the article, Toronto. Didn't say which of Matthews, Marner, or Tavares is being traded to afford the quality right-handed defenseman. But yeah, don't let that get in the way of a good story. <laughs> We're going to go through the team by position, starting with the goaltending. I did it this way for all of the team podcasts, and it's because I firmly believe you absolutely need good goaltending to win the Stanley Cup. And if you don't have it, 
even if you can check off the other boxes, you absolutely can't win it. Of course, you just can't win it alone with the goaltending either. Otherwise, Montreal would have with Harry Pearl. You do need some of those other boxes. I mean, we talk about the defense as well. And uh, I will get over-consumed probably about Petriangelo again at some point. Probably have a few more tangents and then get to the forwards. As we look through the blue step chart, as we head into free agency. At goal, Jake Allen, of course, was traded to Montreal for one of those third rounders and seven rounders from Montreal they obtained from Washington and Chicago in previous deals. This was in early September and fueled the idea that the Blues were clearing up cap space to sign Petriangelo again. Allen, 30, had one year, $4.35 million left on his deal. Just go on cap friendly and look at what Montreal is going to spend on their goaltenders next season. I'm really happy a team is doing this, actually. I'm interested to see if Leonard and Flurry stay in Vegas, too. Just think, nice to see some teams actually spending a combined total of over 10 mil on goaltenders. See if uh, teams can win doing that, and it changes the philosophy. Jordan Bennington, of course, took the Blues to their Stanley Cup championship in 2019 but he did struggle along with the rest of his teammates in the bubble that the numbers for this year's postseason weren't as good as Allen. Bennington's regular season numbers, just to go through them, he went from a 2.56 goals against average in the regular season to a 4.72 goals against average in that playoffs in Edmonton. His regular season save percentage went from a 9.12 to a .871, and a 30-game winner in the regular season went 0 through 5 through the playoffs. I mean, like, you know what a speechless as Jamie Benn is after Game Six of the Stanley Cup Final. I I just can't imagine that type of switch in the numbers. Meanwhile, the now traded Allen had a 1.89 goals against average and a 9.35 save percentage in five games played in the postseason with a 2-1-1 one, one record as, I should mention that, 2-1-1, one, one, round robin. There were regulation, overtime rules, and effects. And so he actually had a shootout loss in the round robin. He ends up with a 2 1 1 record. Two things that I both essentially killed this narratives, I think, already. One thanks to former Blues player and color analyst, former goaltender in the National Hockey League, Darren Pegg. By the way, I think is one of the most insightful analysts in the hockey business. I just love listening to the Blues games when uh, he's doing the color commentary. And the other is just taking in all the 2020 draft free agency podcasts of the abundance of unrestricted free agent goalies this offseason, which is unusually high, and talking about the teams that want to move goalies under contract, such as the St. Louis-Montreal deal did. It kind of got it kicked off. Minnesota completed moving Dubnik to San Jose since, and more will fall. I actually like that GM Doug Armstrong was ahead on this and not left without a trading partner. Montreal looked at a couple goalies. He got the deal done. Fortunately for Allen, those numbers in limited play during the regular season and in almost equal play in the postseason, Bennington, were better than the starter. He was the backup for this year. However, would they have been if he was carrying the workload? That's a big question. And that, of course, brings me to the Darren Pang insightful analysis. Of the number of games in a season Pennington has played year to year, it was expected that he would ellipse his game play total substantially this season for many years before in his career. Now, 27, he is in the prime by all counts. But it was a good question raised by Fang 
on would he maintain his high level of play or potentially be affected by the bigger workload. Of course, coronavirus came and regular season stopped. And months after, the return to playoffs came to play. How he performs still hasn't answered Pang's great question because the stoppage stopped anyone from finding out. The question he posed is still unanswered. And it's a great question of how after 50 plus games and the postseason will be performed. I don't have the answer. He actually reached the 50 game mark at the time of the stoppage. And he had 30 wins at that point, three shutouts. The Blues were still first in the Western Conference and looked like they had avoided the Stanley Cup hangover and were legit a threat to become repeat champions. Something, I might add, with the schedule grind of the modern NHL and considering the extra travel of Western teams and especially Central Division teams is both rather unthinkable and remarkable. The Blues, no question, have a starting goaltender who has had an off playoffs along with a lot of other St. Louis Blues this year. They just didn't bring their compete level to the bubble in Edmonton. Now, depth-wise, at goaltending, the simple answer is promoting Billy Huso, 25, who with San Antonio of the American Hockey League had a 2.56 goals against average, a .909 save percentage with four shutouts, given the need to save cap space. However, just to throw one idea out there, if Colorado were to sign unrestricted free agent Corey Crawford from Chicago, and it's been bantered about its possibility. It would leave them with three goalies that, as far as I know, would have to all clear waivers. Crawford, Grubauer, and Francois. Francois, the current backup. Francois, as I did just out in the Colorado podcast, had great numbers. The other thing he has is a two-year, two million per contract he signed late last season. It's to say for a team wanting a guy who played 30-plus games of the regular season and playoff games this past season and had good numbers, but can't spend three to four million on a goalie. Otherwise, St. Louis would have kept Allen. Let's be completely honest here. But you could make a deal after Colorado added an additional one more costly goalie to get their value priced one. Otherwise, just slot Uso in or try to find comparable cost value backups a team will actually part with. Now, to give you an example, I know Alex Stalock's contract is near the league salary bottom, but do you think GM Bill Gurren in Minnesota is going to part with that? He'd be crazy to. He did the logical move and traded Dubnik. In the system for the St. Louis Blues, our recent but really young prospects of Bill Hoffer, 20, he played junior in the Western Hockey League with Portland. And they also have recent draft pick Colton Ellis-19, also junior with the QMJHL in Ramuski, and Vadim Hiranko, I hope I'm saying that right, 19, who played Russia League 2 last year. His numbers look good, but I don't know how much of a drop-off from the uh, League 1 to League 2 is. They're all really young guys. The Blues do have Stanley Cup champion starting goaltender in Bennington. Haven't seen him be a workhorse 50 plus games in his career. And now, this upcoming season will be that likely year that we get to see how he is as that workhorse guy. I have heard a lot of NHL GMs, coaches, and execs say this is a two goalie tandem league to be successful in now. Yet teams have won on the strength of one elite goaltender. There are a few exceptions to the two-goalie rule, but, but it's very limited company. We're going to move on to the defense. Let's move to the topic that consumed the opening of the podcast and unrestricted free agent right-hand defenseman Alex Petriangelo, possibly testing the free agent market. There are still a few days to get that deal done. He still sits atop my right-hand D depth chart 
with Colton Perenko, 27, in the second pair spot of that St. Louis defense. Clearly by now, you have an understanding that I absolutely think both are exceptional defensemen. And I often felt Perenko would follow Petriangelo in succession of becoming the cornerstone D-man for this St. Louis team. And I wouldn't be too concerned slotting him in there now. On the third pairing, on the right-hand D with Petriangelo, the top pair, is Justin Falk. He absolutely can play top four. And that's a kind of Stanley Cup winning setup for a defense group that you, as a good GM, would have. At least one of the guys playing 5-6 can move up and legitimately play top four minutes. Now, best wishes to one of the most decorated DJ Bonewister, who, from all accounts, is soft-spoken, super smart, and a total class act on his recent retirement. Armstrong, the GM, did the best he could bringing in Marco Scalola as a replacement, 30, on the left-handy. And that's about as good as you can replace what we could quite easily describe as another irreplaceable guy. Really, the big restricted free agents on the team is left-handed D. Vince Dunn, 23, because he's the guy that's going to make up the top four. Remember, I have Falk on right-hand D as a 5'6 guy. So in the event Petriangelo were to sign with another team, this defense is still very good, but it is absolutely not better by subtracting Petriangelo, but it has depth because you still have four guys that can play top four. Good size, skating, puck moving abilities. So bringing back Dunn to me, although he's not a cornerstone piece like Petriangelo, he is absolutely a requirement to maintain a very complete top four. From there, you got left-handy Carl Gunnarsson, 33. He's under contract to play on the bottom pair for one more year, as is Robert Bertuzzo, 31, and he's got two more years. That's a very comfortable starting six. Or, once Petrangelo's resigned, then you have that ideal seven. You got your healthy scratch in there, too. In the event he wasn't returning, then I guess you would have to look down the rest of the depth chart there's a restricted free agent journeyman, Derek Kuliot, 26. He has played at the NHL. He spent last year with San Antonio in the American Army. He's kind of bounced back and forth. Looks like you have a top four or elite five with Petriangelo and capable, experienced bottom pair minute guys. I still think the bottom pair needs sheltered minutes if the top four ended up being Pareko, Falk, Scandella, and Dunn, minus Petriangelo. But I'm very confident that that top four would be able to carry the minutes and still allow that bottom pair to be sheltered. Because you got veteran guys, older guys over 30, on that bottom pair. Also, and again, this is my opinion. And maybe somebody knows this prospect pool. Actually, there would be guys that know this prospect pool better than me for the St. Louis Blues. But I don't see another standout in the prospects on the cusp of making this club from what I see on the depth chart. It looks to me that these guys are going to need a bit more time to develop. So I would want to be pursuing adding someone with NHL experience just for depth. And just as I did in the Colorado path, podcast because that was the one that we did for this i was thinking of a team for depth the man kevin connaughton because he seems out of place in the colorado system he's an unrestricted free agent he's a bottom pair guy but has good size and it made me think of arizona as bill armstrong is there now and of course he was in st louis before and he probably wants to make his d group more like his former team and for that same reason, as a limited cost depth D-man, I think it would look good on the depth chart more so in Arizona or in St. Louis and in Colorado's. 
Nick Seeler, who was picked off of waivers last year by Chicago, is another is another low cost guy with bottom pairing seventh guy ability. Otherwise, the question is: Is Jake Wallman, who appeared in one game last season for St. Louis, that next guy up for a bottom pair in times of injuries? The other seem vet AHLers who never made the jump to the league or prospects needing more time to develop. Somebody wants to, you know, tap me and say, hey, this other guy, this guy coming up is the guy to watch. Definitely like to know that. With the forward group, I mostly was looking at it as a way to find a salary dump and keep the good components together. Everyone's under contract, but I figured there must be a third or fourth line guy that you could deal to free up some cap space because really getting Petrangelo back and getting done under contract is shedding salary. I absolutely want to leave the top six as I have it right now. I want to leave it alone. We're not touching anything in there. And I don't think the GM Armstrong was planning on doing that either. And this team is strong up the middle. In fact, I think I have two centers playing on right wing in the top 12 based on the current roster. Strong up center ice. I also want to get Jordan Cairo in the playing 12. I don't think the bottom six is how Coach Craig Berube has his lines. I think that's because Vladimir Tarasenko missed so many games that when you're putting him in the top six on the depth chart, where obviously he belongs, when healthy, moved other guys down that were actually up in the lineup for most of this year. And then the line combinations felt off from, you know, the games you're watching and how the step chart looks now. But you can go through these guys and, and start at center ice in the top six. Braden Chen, 29, put him at the first line center. 6.5 mil, eight-year contract. He's under contract a long time. Uh, he had five points, nine games, two goals. Played really one of the players I felt played pretty good for the St. Louis Blues in that series with Dan. Of course, had 58 points. Ryan O'Reilly would be the second line center, also 29. He's under contract for another three years, 7.5. You know, he's always up in the Selkie conversation. I just think it was a nominee again this year. Did not win it. Always in that conversation is one of the best defensive forwards in the league. He also is really good in the faceoff, 56.5% this past year in the regular season. And technically, if you look at his ice time, he actually averaged more ice time per game in the regular season. He won points for him. 12 of those were goals and uh, played the full 71, as did Shen. You look at right wing. Of course, you got Vladdy Tarasenko over there, 28 years old, 7.5 million, three years left on his deal. He only got to play 10 games during the regular season. He's still a point-per-game player in those 10 games, had 10 points. Played four in the postseason, and of course, the shoulder stuff came back up again for him, and he wasn't able to continue on, left the bubble. So hopefully... By the time the season comes around, whenever the upcoming season is going to be slated to be played for 2021, Vladdy's going to be all right because he's just absolutely such a dynamic player. And then second right winger in the top six, David Perron, 32, 4 million left with two years left on his heel. You know, he came to play in the uh, playoffs. He was a point per game player. The nine games played, had nine points, four goals, five assists, 25 goals during the regular season, 60 points. David Perron just seems to really have found his groove when he came back to St. Louis. He's just a veteran guy now, 32, that, uh, yeah, he brings it, you know, everything that he's got every night. On the left wing, you got Jaden Swartz, 28. 5.35 mil for one more year. So the year after this, he's going to have to uh, get a new deal. 57 points, 22 goals in the regular season. And he had four goals in the return to play playoffs in nine games. So he was one of those guys that 
along with Perron, scored some goals. They still needed to score more goals. But they didn't get a lot of help from the bottom six in that category. Zach Sanford's, who at 25 I put as the uh, left winger in the top six. Arguably, you can say based on the minutes of average ice time that maybe you want to slot somebody else up there. Alex Steen, I'm not sure. I put Sanford up there because I really think he is the other guy belongs in the top. He had four points in nine games played in the playoffs. 30 points in the regular season. About 13.43 in average ice time, which really isn't top six minutes. So, that, see, that's where I think I've got something off here. And maybe a guy plays his off wing. It's uh, hard to figure out. But then again, right, remember, we've got a, we got Tarasenko on the right here, too. So when I look at Bozak's ice time, I think he's the guy that moved up in the top six. Tarasenko wasn't playing. He had two assists in eight games played in the return-to-play playoffs. 13 goals, 29 points. He's making $5 million a year, and he's got one more year left. It's good on the face-off dot, too, and yet I got him. Well, I put him on third line, right wing. 55% face-off. But the explanation on that, of course, is Robert Thomas at 21. One more year on his entry-level contract is the guy who got playing third line center. 42 points in 66 games played. He's not as strong in the face-off circle. I'm going to put this out here right now before I'm kind of continuing on. Tyler Bozak's the guy I kind of earmark as five million guy that I think has value but I think St. Louis should move and I still think I believe they're at a five point something right now 5.1 and they need to get done and Petriangelo and I, I honestly want to say I think you're going to need 12 million to do both those deals and I think you got probably what would be a Fairly long term and maybe about 8.5 for Brett Triangelo. And then you've still got to come up with what's going to probably be 3.5 for done. It's really hard to tell what they're going to do. The restricted free agents are going to get. Alex Dean, I put at the third spot on left wing um, just because of the ice time. However, in theory, you can... On the left wing side, you could say Sammy Blay at 24 is really going to move up that spot. He's 1.5 million over two years. Dean's 36, 5.75 million, and he's got one year left. The only problem with uh, a Steen move versus Bozak is I actually think teams would like the, the player that Bozak is, which is kind of the same reason why St. Louis kind of wouldn't want to trade him. The thing with Steen is that you know, he's really almost at the point where he's getting to fourth line instead of even third line. Seven goals, 17 or seventeen points in the regular season. No points in the return to play. But he only played four games because he got hurt too. It's the other thing I keep forgetting. Both Tarasenko and Steen only played four games each in the uh, return to play playoffs. So I think you need a sweetener with Steen to be able to move that out of there. But ideally, I think Bozak and, and or Steen would be the guys you'd want to be able to move out of there. Although respectfully, I mean, Steen's been with the franchise for quite some time. And it'd be nice to see him finish his career with the organization. If you can manage to find a way to move other money out of there. Ivan Barbershop, I put as a fourth-line center. And again, I think it's mostly because I think this team was stronger on the left wing, and I think Barbashev is a, is a left-shooting airman. He's got 1.5 with one year left. You know, he could be playing third line. But then again, like I said, once you get Tarasenko back in the lineup, that's where Bozak kind of fell down. And then, uh, so he had 11 goals, 26 points. Only got to play three games in the return to play. Um, 
I believe there was something to do with a child in the family, I think, is why he wasn't on the bubble for a bit there. And by the time he got back, they were way on their last legs in that Vancouver series. The next thing you got is that, it, you know, you got Jordan Cairo, who's a right center, and you got Oscar Sunquist, who's a right center. Cairo's 22 on his entry level. Sunquist, who I really like at 26, is 275 for three more years. Great contract. They can't move that. Do not trade Oscar Sunquist, whatever you guys do. He's such a value player on the bottom stick. And he can move up the lineup. He's kind of just like their jackknife guy and has energy. He only had one assist in nine games, but he had a quiet playoffs. One guy I thought was going to do more in the uh, playoffs for St. Louis. So I don't know whether Kyra is more likely to play the wing or Sunquist. But ideally somewhere in this mix going forward, I kind of see those two guys together in some way, shape, or form. And then, of course, Sammy Blay, as I mentioned, is the other guy that I see there. I mean, to do a look at the centers, uh, one of the other guys on the entry-level contract is uh, Clem Costin. And he played four games and had a goal in the regular season. Um, didn't play any in the uh, return to play. And he's a left center in 21. And then you got a couple of big left wingers. Jacob De La Rose, who's under contract now. One, he's under a mill one year, so it's almost like an entry level, but he's not like on an entry level. He played five games because of the guys that were missing in the lineup. And Mackenzie McEachern also played five games, and he also is under that really low contract at a mill for two years. But those guys are really fourth liners, 13 forward type of guys but it says a say somewhere in here because when you look at the step chart you got about six deep on the left wingers you got five centers depending on whether you put Kairu or Sunquist on the right wing and they're both right centers so it almost seems like there's an extra body in there that you've got to get one of the guys with salary out of there and if it's not in your top six, then it's really Bozak or Steen. Those are the two options in order to find some room, if not both of them. And then you kind of get Blay up on the left wing where Steen would be and LaRose or Mackenzie Keckwin in there. And then, of course, like I said, if you get Barbashov up on the third line because Bozak's gone, then Sunquist and Cairo and, you know, De La Rose or Mackenzie McEachern make your 12 with the other guy being the 13th forward. And you're still going to work it around until you kind of get a working lineup. But still four lines on a team with a bunch of guys that were around for the Stanley Cup. So that's what I would do with this. And I think, as I mentioned, uh, Clem Costin is the other, you know, up and coming player in the development stage on an entry-level contract that I can see being able to make the jump to the National Hockey League. However, will it be next year? But he's a guy at training camp I keep an eye on for that possibility. So there you have it. That's where I'm getting that extra 10 million from. It's somehow getting Steen and Bozak, the teams that have the uh, cap space those players. Hey, that guy in Toronto really likes Alex Steen, so they have no cap space. Well, I'm sure I entirely figured out how to make the salary dump for getting Pechtel back into the lineup and getting Dundine. That's not an easy job. We're going to move on to the draft now. And for all these Central Division podcasts, I've been working through a mock draft Determine one guy each team's going to take, a potential backup pick. You know, there was kind of a cluster um, with the Central Division teams. And the first one was kind of the Minnesota Winnipeg Nashville, because they draft 9, 10, and 11 in the first round. Chicago was kind of on its own island, um, or is in own bubble. Is it too early to say that? And then the last three picks are kind of closer together than two. 
So right before St. Louis is picked at 26, Colorado's picked at 25, and then Dallas has a 30th pick. So they're kind of all in that near the end of the first round. And so by the time I'm looking at Colorado's pick at 20, that group of players is the type of guys that I would think that St. Louis would also be looking at in that same range. And I almost, in in the sense of who I picked for Colorado, thought, well, if Colorado doesn't pick this guy at 25, I would sure hope St. Louis picks him at 26. So I've been using a hybrid of McKenzie's final draft ranking. That's put together by scouts, not just by him. And then also looking at Sportsnet's uh, Stem Consentino's ranking. And then, uh, you know, I looked at the different uh, mock drafts, some on NHL.com. And I was really interested in figuring out whether GMs are really big on sticking to the best available model. And everything I keep hearing, so I, I heard from Double Day Off in the past week from Billy Guerin talk about it. And they all seem to say in the first round that, uh, you know, you're going to make a mistake unless you're going with the best available model and not positionally, which I thought maybe in later on in the first round, because, you know, you only get so many high first round draft picks that if you have a positional, you would want to have a, a good pick to maybe be the guy that could come in and, uh, you know, improve that uh, depth. But, from everything I hear, the GMs basically say through the first round, especially, um, go with the best available player model. And these draft ranking lists, the two that I'm talking about that I, I looked at, um, as well as mock drafts, for the most part, that's the way they're designed and set up. So there seems to be quite uh, a reasonable amount of uh, consistency with, you know, the players in the in the section. So there were kind of four players that I really liked that were both on McKenzie and uh, Constantino's list that are all ranked very closely on both and all ranked around the time when both St. Louis's pick was and when Colorado's pick was before it. And uh, one was a 5'10 center, Ridley Gregg. And McKenzie had him ranked 24th, and uh, Constantino had him ranked 25th. So you can see how closely they, they had those guys on their list. Maverick Bork is the other center. He's 5'11". Now, McKenzie had him ranked 26th. Constantino had him ranked 28th. So, again, that's kind of falling at a median of 27. It's a really interesting left winger, six foot Lucas Reichel. And McKenzie had him 24th, Constantino had him 20th. And then uh, six foot two right defenseman Justin Barron, McKenzie has listed 25th. And Constantino had him on 27 on his list. So that's really, I thought, were going to be the the guys that would be available. And I had this reference in the last podcast, I'm going to share it again. You know, Connor Zary is a seventh ranked uh, 22nd on Bob McKenzie's list, which is, you know, a few spots below where the two teams pick. And yet, there's a greater degree of variation to Constantino's list, because he had him at 16th. So the wider discrepancies on the two lists, you know, had me thinking that, you know, he probably would be gone for sure by the time Colorado picks at 24, you know, even probably in the top 20, especially when GMs are all using the best available player model. It's not too often that guys are dropping down unless, you know, there's something that really stands out that, you know, an organization is kind of said, oh, you know what? This is a concern for us. Talking about Lucas Reichel, because that's who I think will be the pick for the St. Louis Blues with the uh, 26th pick at the 2020 draft. It's a six-foot winger, left winger. This is Craig Button's analysis 
skilled, smart winger who can skate and make plays in the offensive zone. He can create opportunities with his quickness and equally good at making a pass for a goal or shooting to the net. Top six two-way player, comparable at the NHL level. Remember the second NHL player they think he's going to be like. Uh, Andre Palat is who they've compared him to. Now, and having said that, when I when I put together the one for uh, Colorado, I really thought that they would take the right-hand D, Justin Perrin, 25 off the board. And then when I was thinking about it after, I says, well, if they don't take Justin Barron, then it's pretty logical that that would be a good pick for St. Louis, too. So essentially what I've done is made my prediction that they're going to take the right-hand defenseman and St. Louis is going to take the left winger, Lucas Reichel. But in all possibility, if Colorado took Reichel or took a couple, or a couple of centermen, one of them, and Barron was still on the board, then I think that's a real logical backup pick, or if he was on the board, that would be who the uh, Blues would pick. That's how I see the draft unfolding for the first round. Obviously, I'm trying to guess late-round draft picks for everybody's teams. But it is kind of a neat thing to do. And with it being tonight, a lot of excitement around that. So at this point, we're kind of just going to do a wrap up quickly here. And again, some final analysis with the team. And again, we're doing that positionally, uh, again, at the needs. And and I, I can't really quantify that saying the needs is to make cap space because you got two guys you got to sign and it's 5.1. You've already let go of the backup goaltender. So one of the things is that are they going to go with the uh, American Hockey League goaltender as a backup or are they going to try and find a low-cost, uh, exceptional value goalie that they can get uh, most likely via trade because it's already going to be on a contract? Um or I guess if you waited around for a lot of the other boys to sign for the higher deals, maybe a guy signs for a, a lower cost, uh, you know, more of a try it out kind of thing. But a lot of the, you know, quality goaltenders, I think will be off the board. If the team has to wait to do that. So I almost think trying to find a way to make a trade for somebody like Francois is a, is a good plan if Colorado goes out and, you know, as I mentioned as the example, if they pick up Corey Crawford and they have Grubauer, then Frank Coase is a exceptional value, low-cost goalie that could be your backup for Bennington at uh, less than half the cost that uh, Jake Allen was. Not saying it's better, but at least you got a guy that's played so many job games rather than your backup being a guy that's just played in the American Hockey League. On the defense, we talked about this all, you know. Got to re-sign Alex Petriangelo. Um, and you got to have the money to do it. And uh, if you don't have the money to do it, then... Well, I guess you I mean, you might have the money now to be able to sign done now. I'm trying to look at the defense. I mean, but the only other option, which I think is maybe where Petriangelo got a little upset. You know, Justin Falk, when he, when he came over to the team, he got... Locked up at 6.5 for seven years. Candela got 3.3 million for four years. You kind of need all those pieces there. But it, to me, sometimes it almost seems like Petriangelo is just like, well, you paid these guys to be here, but you didn't, you didn't look after me. And now you got a, you know, clear contract because I don't want to trade Justin Falk, but he's the highest paid defenseman on there. And, Technically, I got Colton Perenko on the right side on the on the second pairing. Of course, Falk is two years younger than Petrangelo, but you know, if if you ask me which right hand defenseman I want as a cornerstone defenseman on my D, I'm gonna pick Alex Petrangelo over Justin Falk like every time. So, you know, this is kind of 
part of the reason why this, you know, situation I think is happening. Like I said, they're all kind of loud and under contract, save for a couple of, you know, minor league players um, that you wouldn't expect to see at the National Hockey League level next year. And then you've got two guys that are 5 million guys that, like Tyler Bozak is a player, and, and you know, he's physical, he's got size, um, good on the walls, can play center, good at face up, but he has value. But, you know, what are the what is the option if it's not him? Like, are you moving Jaden Schwartz or Braden Chen, David Perron? Like, those guys have to be the guys that are there, you know, to drive that offense. So it just seems to me like Bozak's a guy that's got value. And like I said, I don't know what you could do if you can get Steen move, but even at 5.75, and even if you start retaining part of the salary, then I, I don't know how you're getting up to that total amount to be able to uh, retain Petriangelo. And maybe that's just the reality setting is, is that there just isn't the cash and players that they need to move can't be moved. So that's the big challenge for this team right now. But the last sides, the to imagine Alex Petriangelo not being with the St. Louis Blues is just unfathomable. I just, I can't believe it. Um, if that happens and seeing him in a different jersey, but I also don't see the way for them to get him back under contract at what his market value is. And, you know, there's a lot of teams that would definitely give him the market value because he's a cornerstone defenseman. That's the type of guy that was a great goaltender and a couple of phenomenal scorers and a really complete group of 12 that you can win a Stanley Cup with. I mean, we didn't talk about Patrick Maroon not being on this team either this year as they went back to uh, try the repeat. And he ended up with Tampa Bay. Now, he's not the reason they won. But that character guy and that ability to have that depth and those playoff guys, is that's part of it. That's kind of part of that whole group and team that you need to put together. But that cornerstone defenseman and, and the goaltender, like you, you just look at the 2019 St. Louis Blues, and that's, uh, that's the, one of the templates to win the Stanley Cup. And, and a variation maybe on the types of players, but you really generally, when winning the Stanley Cup, have Petriangelo presence as a cornerstone of your defense. You know, in a, in a way, I kind of liken Petrangelo to Hedberg and, you know, Falk to Shatner, if you were to compare him that way. You know, Tarasenko's like Braden Point, except he wasn't able to play, you know, all all year. Those game breakers. Ryan O'Reilly, great two-way player. It's kind of the balance of that stuff, to be able to power play guys and penalty kill guys. You know, strong defense and those you know, those 12, 12 forwards, four lines, is always of a championship team. And then they're backstopped by a goalie that plays exceptional. The year St. Louis won in 2019, Jordan Bennington was that guy. So that is the formula. And now once you've won it, oftentimes, it seems to me that you end up having to break up the roster because you just can't keep it all together. But I'm not sure there isn't a way to make sure that it's not the cornerstone piece of your team that you are trading away, because at that point, you're stepping back. Unless Colton Perenko's ready for that spotlight. It seems to me Alex Petriangelo is still such a good defenseman that Colton Perenko hasn't actually you know, succeeded him in that top right-hand deep spot on the team yet. And therefore, that's exactly the reason why you want to keep Petriangelo. How the St. Louis Blues do it, 
We'll find out who their first pick is probably before we find out about a Petrangelo deal. I want to thank you for listening to Central Division Hockey, the podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bigelow. This, again, was the St. Louis Blues 2020 Draft Free Agency podcast. And we've been doing this for all the teams. We've got one more left in the series, which I'm hoping to get up. Uh, a couple hours, I guess, before the actual draft tonight's first round uh, for the Dallas Stars as they went the furthest. They went to the finals, fell a couple games short. They didn't do what St. Louis did last year. They couldn't win the whole thing. It would have been kind of neat if two years in a row, interim head coaches took their team to the Stanley Cup playoff, or playoffs and won it, won the cup. Uh, it didn't happen this year. As we're leaving the podcast, want to just make a note of the track that we've been using that you heard at the opening. We're going to play another little segment from that house electronic. It's called uh, Acid Trash by a house electronic band in Winnipeg, group in Winnipeg, MAP. And that can be found on their Grant Avenue EP. And you can find that on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite music on. 